Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to have you. If you're uh, here in the room, really grateful that you've joined us. If you have anything that you want to communicate to us, uh, those connection cards there in front of you, we would love for you to use them. Uh, you can fill them out. you got uh, a prayer request. You can write that down. Um, if you are uh, a guest with us, we'd love to uh, be able to follow up with you. If you're comfortable, just leave us whatever, inf- whatever information uh, you're comfortable leaving with us. Just take those cards, fill it out, drop it in the box back there uh, on your way out the door. If today's the day that you give in person, uh, you can absolutely do that in- Uh, by dropping your offering in that box as well. For those of you watching online, a big hello and welcome. Uh, Glad that you are watching. Uh, Same applies for you. If you have anything you want us to know about in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on, you can just leave them there. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. I think I failed to introduce myself. My name is Trent. I have the privilege uh, being the pastor here. Thanks for all you did to pull off, connect, um, camp this week's fantastic. I got some great reports. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can put in your lap. There's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to grab that. Or if you, if you are a user of the Bible app, please feel free to open that app, find our live event and get going. Does anybody like to do projects around the house? You want to admit to that? A few of you do. Like hammer and nail kind of stuff, right? I mean, like fixing stuff where um, Jenny and I have done um, uh, some of those before. Some of them turned out amazing. I mean, like we have built some stuff and it's been pretty cool. Bunk beds, that kind of thing. And other things we have tried, not quite so much. Very first house project that I can remember was an utter disaster. Uh, We read somewhere that we could texture a wall by sticking texture in the paint that we were going to paint with. Let me just tell you, that's a lie, okay? Not everything you read on the internet is true. I mean, like, it's a lie. It did not turn out like we thought. So there's that. Uh, As we kick off this series, uh, it's going to take us through uh, Labor Day, and then we'll pick up the book of James. That's kind of the rest of the year for us. Um, but as we kick off this series, um, these, these thinking about these tools, what, what are the tools, the things that God uses to help us grow spiritually? And so every one of these tools kind of has its own purpose. And if you walk into your garage, my garage, you see you got a hammer and a screwdriver and a drill and a thing. you got a level or a, a square, a speed square, whatever, saw, any number of things. Not every tool uh, is meant for every job. You know that, right? Okay, not every tool is meant for every job, but every tool is useful in the appropriate place. And so in the same way, as we talk about these things that will uh, come out, we're not saying everybody has a degree like this. What we are saying is these things are really useful, <coughs> excuse me, in the appropriate moment um, uh, to, to grow spiritually. Uh, but today we're actually going to begin talking about um, our, our relationship with God. And, and really, as we start thinking about these tools that help us grow, I really kind of want to talk about the wood. Anybody ever go to pick your favorite place that you go to? If you're a Home Depot person or a Lowe's person or you go elsewhere, perfectly fine, Ace Hardware, whatever. You go and you pick out the wood and you see the guys um, who don't actually know a whole lot about what they're doing. They just go grab the 2 by 4s which thankfully aren't like $28 a 2 by 4 anymore, yes? Mercy gracious. Okay, so you see the guys and they just pick up three or four of them and then off they go. And then you see the guys who are uh, in their work boots and they've got a hole or three in their jeans and, and a shirt that looks like it's got paint and caulk and sawdust like 
built in. You know what I mean? Um, and then they pick that bad boy up and they lay it down. And they're like, what are they doing? They're picking out the wood. They are choosing the wood. They, they are seeing if this wood is going to be good for the project that they're doing. This is really the thing today. It's this sense of, uh, um, I, am, I am choosing the wood. Like we are the wood that God will go to work on. And so th- this is that. This is that. We'll kind of jump into here in Romans uh, chapter 12. If you walk away with a single thing today, this is the, this is the sermon in a phrase. That transformation begins with consecration. Now, consecration, my guess is you didn't use that word this week. It, it's an older English word that just means to set apart, to, to um, use it for special, for special purposes. And I'll give you an example of this. Just in, in, uh, some of you go to your kitchen. Can you go to your kitchen? And you go to your cabinets. And then you go to the like top row of the cabinets, like you open that cabinet door, and, and you go to the very, very top thing. And there's that special serving dish that your great-great-grandma gave you that you only use at Thanksgiving or Christmas. You got it in your mind. And you set it up there, and every time you bring it down, you have to wipe the dust out of it and all that kind of before it comes. But it's a special thing, right? It is set apart. This is what we're talking about. This is consecration. And transformation, the process of God bringing genuine change to help us become like Jesus, that begins with consecration, with setting ourselves apart. So enough of that, uh, me talking about that. Let's read some Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I actually want to flip the text on its head. So I want to take verse 2 first, then we'll do verse 1. I want to talk about transformation first. You see it there in verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I just note a couple of things here as it, as it falls out of the text. Number one, uh, transformation... Uh, means that we have to fight against conformity. We have to fight. Do not be, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Some of you may have the spirit of this world or, or this age. The idea with that is it consistently changes. Every day changes. Every generation changes. There are just things that change uh, about this world. And so the expectations that the world has or the things that it says are good today, tomorrow may be something bad. And you just look about, uh, think about the last maybe five years or so and even how language has changed. Things that you can say now that you can't say then or back vice versa. I mean, on and on and on. But it's not just true every day as the sands of our culture kind of shift. It's true generation to generation. Uh, uh, one generation uh, uh, finds something uh, appalling and the next generation finds it acceptable. And then the generation after that actually applauds it. Nobody said amen, but I'm guessing that you know that that's true. So we fight against conformity because the, uh, the, the second uh, kind of portion of that goes something like this. Because the, the, the current, the wind, will always drift us towards whatever the world wants. Anybody do this when you're a kid? 
Um, I, I grew up uh, in a uh, relatively small town up north of here, um, and so we had to do it in the gutters. We, we could go out to the woods and do it in the creek, but it was a little it was a little crazy to get out there when it was raining. But we did it in the gutters where you'd take a popsicle stick or a stick you found in the yard, whatever, whatever, and you'd have popsicle stick races or stick races in the as in the drainage. Anybody with me on this? Yeah, you do some stuff, right? You do that. And, and no, none of those things, you drop it in one hand and run down and see who won, none of those things ever went upstream. Did you notice? The current consistently pushed it downstream. The current of our culture, the, the winds that blow in our world will consistently push you downstream, so to speak. We have to fight against conformity. Resistance is necessary. Uh, secondly, it, it says here, um, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So there is um, something about striving towards genuine change. And when we talk about, and transformation really is the, the kind of key word for us as a church family. We talk about it a lot. So if you've been around here a while, my guess is, is that um, uh, you, you've kind of heard some of this before, but I, I want to hold it up and say this is really critical. It is kind of our key word. We strive towards genuine change, not outward appearances. Genuine change on the inside. Not just slap a new coat of paint on it, but profound um, inward change uh, in the experience of God being at work in our lives to make us... um, to make us like he wants us to be, to make us into the image of his son, to renew us on the inside. This is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about transformation. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be uh, uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Greek word there is the word metamorphosis. You get a caterpillar, chrysalis, butterfly. That process, if you know in biology, it's metamorphosis. This is what we're talking about. A genuine uh, um, profound, character-shaping, life-shaping change. This is what God is after. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. That is what he's after. Um, you'll note here that it says to be transformed. Be transformed. So it's not as if I wake up and like, boom, and I'm going to transform myself. What, what happens? It actually happens to us, but we are not passive in this process. Uh, to, to be transformed doesn't mean I'm just sitting on the couch between Netflix episodes while it's doing the credits and I can't quite click it, right, to make the next episode start. Oh, okay, God, while I'm here waiting on that, go ahead. and That's not this. To be transformed does indeed require our activity, our commitment, um, our willingness, all of that's true, but it happens to us. It happens to us. If you um, want to turn a couple of books to the right, to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, this is in the Bible app as well. But I want you to start in verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what it says. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And don't miss that, please, because um, the, the, the call of the Christian life is a call to freedom. It is, it is the place where you and I can get to where you and I can be transformed such that we actually want the right thing. Our world says that freedom is uh, getting what we want. But the scripture consistently talks about freedom as wanting the right thing. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face... 
beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Same word. Being transformed into the same image, uh, the image of God, from one degree of glory to another. For that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this happens to us, though we are not passive in this. In fact, it's very clear that uh, for us to experience the transformation that God wants to bring to our lives, to live in the freedom that God wants to um, uh, make your reality and my reality, that, that, that something has to happen. And what has to happen is we have to behold the Lord. We have to set our gaze on God. We have to put our eyes on Him. We have to be careful and limiting about the inputs that come into our minds and rattle around. We want to be the people who set our gaze on God so that we behold Him. Because, church family, listen, what you behold is what you become. I don't want a single person to miss that. I don't want a kid who went to Connect Camp to miss that. I don't want this amazing group of teenagers, especially most of them who helped so much um, this week. Like, I don't want adults to miss that. I don't want some of you senior adults who are launching into that winter season of your life. Listen to me. What you behold is what you become. And so to set our gaze on the God who pursues us, saves us, gave his son for us, um, and wants to do good to us, that is the pattern, excuse me, that is the moment where when, when we do that, that, that transformational process is in gear. In that moment right there. What you behold is what you become. That, that, again, verse 18, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. It, we're not passive in this. This is what God does. So back to Romans 12. Be transformed, and how do we do that? By the renewal of our minds. By the renewal of our minds. So um, we, we change the way that we understand the world. Our moral consciousness, so to speak, um, is, is renewed, is renovated. The way of thinking, the way of living, the way of acting, the way of feeling, the way of speaking, the way of relating, all of these things is brought into line with the reality of who Jesus is and the kingdom uh, that he says is is uh, is the the best definition of reality quite literally the way that we see the world our worldview is changed it is transformed it, it becomes christian in every sense of the word and i'll just note here that this is the exact opposite of what happens in romans chapter one we won't read it now you can read it later but romans chapter one verse 18 the wrath of god has been revealed against all unrighteousness and he goes on to talk about how these people whose minds were depraved, God gave them over to their depraved minds. He gave them over to their depraved And all of these kind of outcomes, all of these um, things that spiraled downward were the result of it. Immorality and all sorts of violence and chaos followed. This is the exact opposite of that. Instead of renewing their minds, these people um, embraced the depravity of their mind and God let them have what they wanted. God forbid us that. God forbid that he would turn us over to our depravity. Instead, we would be a people who are renewed in mind. This is how transformation comes to us, through our minds being renewed. Last thing I'll note on this is at the end here of verse 2. Um, the, the goal of this is to discern the will of God. It, it is to discern the will of God. Now, um, I, I want to say it was in the 90s, and if I've missed it by a decade or so, please forgive me. Uh, but I want to say in the 90s uh, that there was a... A, um, a movement that came out. It showed up on bracelets and T-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee cups and you basically name it. It showed up. 
Uh, it was based on a book called In His Steps, written by Charles Sheldon, based uh, on a particular passage in First Timothy, excuse me, First Peter chapter two, talking about following Jesus. Um, and um, the, the question in that book is the question that showed up um, on T-shirts and coffee cups and all that kind of stuff. And it was represented by four letters. If you were around in the '90s and you remember this, it was WWJD. Yeah, and somebody made a killing off of that. I'm not sure Charles Sheldon would have approved since the book was about, like, helping the poor and doing some stuff like that. But that's a completely different conversation altogether. Um, uh, but the, the, the idea of that, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a neat idea. But the way that Paul talks about this, we will be able to discern the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We actually, we, we can, when, when the transformational process that Jesus is working in us, when that becomes a reality and even a dominant reality in our lives, we actually know what Jesus would do. The, 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 the kind of emphasis was, gosh, I've, I've encountered something now. What should I do? Oh, oh, I got it. What would Jesus do? Jesus, Paul is saying here, and Jesus is offering you the kind of life that is so transformed that when you encounter that, you go, oh, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Because you can discern the will of God. You actually become the kind of person whose normal response in any situation that you face, in any crisis that comes your way, in any, any uh, uh, a movement that you step into, any moment that you experience, you can become the kind of person who does the will of God. This is what he's offering to you. You can become the kind of person whose natural response is obedience. If you've been around here as part of our church family, we've been saying this for years. God does not want you to obey. He wants you to become the kind of person whose normal response is obedience. There's a very big difference. Just simply obeying can be checking boxes and you, you, you uh, uh, becoming the kind of religious person who, who goes through all the motions. Becoming the kind of person whose normal response is obedience takes the power of God at work in you, transforming you to become like him. And when we do, um, we understand God's will. We agree with God's will. We practice God's will. Look at how he describes it at the end. We understand what is good and our life becomes good. We understand what is acceptable or pleasing, and our life becomes pleasing. And we understand what is perfect or whole, and our life becomes whole. This is the kind of transformation that God wants to work. And you think to yourself, hey, man, that's kind of, I mean, that sounds nice and stuff, but I'm not really sure how I can put handles on that or even what that would look like. Um, again, you don't have to do it now. I invite you to turn the page and read verse 3 down through the rest of the chapter. Because in the rest of Romans 12, it paints a picture of what this looks like. It is a person of humility that expresses that humility through service and the gifts that God gives. It is a person who um, um, uses those gifts um, to encourage others and to, to bless others. It's a person marked by generosity and forgiveness and a willingness to do whatever it takes to make sure that the other person feels honored and um, a, a willingness to forgive, as I said. And um, it, here towards the end of chapter 12, it talks about how, hey, I don't have to take vengeance on myself. God will take care of that. I can do as best as I can to live at peace with all people. This is the rest of Romans chapter 12. You want to know what the transformed life looks like. There are just these little snippets um, as Paul unfolds the rest of Romans chapter 12. And I invite you to look at that. But how do we get there? Transformation begins with consecration. Back to verse 1. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This idea of consecration, it is an ask, okay? It is an invitation. It is not an assumption. He says, I appeal to you. Paul is asking them, hey, hey, I want this for you. I'm inviting you to this. I want you to experience this. I appeal I appeal to you. It's an invitation. Four things to note here. It's an invitation to God's people. It's an invitation to God's people. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. So these are people who have put their trust in Jesus, who have experienced the forgiveness um, that he offers, who have been, uh, 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 the spirit of God has come to live inside of them and are beginning to follow him and what they're in their relationship, no matter where they are in that process or what that looks like. It is, it is that people who have put their faith in Jesus and have an ongoing relationship with him. I, I mean, I'm noting this because some people think, depending upon the church you grew up in, or if you, uh, the teaching that you were exposed to, some people think, oh yeah, I give my life to Jesus. Jesus and it's all over, like it's done. And I'm just going to hang on until heaven. I said, I want you to hang on until heaven, believe me. But the reality is, is that Jesus didn't simply die so that you could be forgiven. He also sent his spirit to live in you. The Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He wants you to live in freedom from all sorts of things, from uh, problems and sins and, and uh, addictions and, and issues and, and, and uh, uh, condemnation and accusation. He wants you to live free from all this and experience the fullness of life that he promised you when he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and might have it abundantly or to the full. This is what he wants for you. Some people think, oh, I'm just going to put my trust in Jesus and I'll just hold on. No, no, no. He wants far more for you than that. And to follow him means there is a daily expression of this. So every single person in here um, who has put their trust in Jesus, you have the opportunity to not see this as a one and done kind of thing, but to experience life with Jesus. This is an invitation. This consecration is an invitation to God's people. This is nothing more than what Jesus himself has said. Matthew chapter 16, Mark chapter 8, Luke chapter 9. Jesus says something like this. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself or herself. Take up his cross once a week or so and follow. A couple of you are shaking your heads like I just misquoted the Bible or something. That's not what he said. What did he say? If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, daily, every single day and follow me. It is an invitation to the people of God to every day consecrate themselves to God. God, here I am. It's Sunday. I'm offering myself to you. God, here I am. It's Monday. I'm offering myself to you. Here I am. Tuesday, I'm offering myself to you. An invitation to God's people. Secondly, it's an invitation based on mercy. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies, by the mercies of God. This, this is not a bargain that you're striking with God. Some people want this to be the case. God, here I am, but I really want this promotion. I really want healing. I really want this relationship to work. And so here I am. I'm offering myself to you. I'll do my part. Now, come on, God. Come on, come on, come on, God. Hello? Anyone there? 
It is based on mercy. This is not a bargain you're striking with God. And it's not a debt repayment plan. I say that because some of you have in your ear this kind of thing that goes, oh, no, 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 no. You, God will never. Uh-uh. No. God, I know how much you've done for me, and I'm just going to do my best, do my best, I mean, to, to do the thing. This is not that. It is not a debt repayment plan. Some of our confessions sound like that, though. God, here I am again, and I'm offering you this. I'm, I know that I sinned again, and so I just want you to know I'm going to do better next time. This is not that. It is an invitation to life based on mercy. I just point you backwards, well, basically to the 11 chapters prior. Chapters 1 to 3, really bad news. Romans chapters 1 to 3, really bad news. Like terrible stuff. So much so that Paul ends kind of that big section with this is the big thought. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. We've really stuck it in the ditch, folks. We really have. Chapters 4, I mean, that's really bad news. Chapters 4 to 8, incredible news. God has pursued us. And even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then he sent his spirit to live inside of us so that we could experience the glories today of all that will be to come. Like we can live in this little taste, this little, um, this little uh, 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 appetizer, if you will, of everything that will unfold. That's incredible news. Chapters 9 to 11, who deserves this? Answer, nobody. Nobody. You grew up around church, you don't deserve it. I mean, like A-plus, top-level sinner, you don't deserve it either. And nobody. God just has mercy on those that he wants to have mercy. He closes uh, chapter 11 with this incredible, he's like, oh, the depth and the wisdom of God. Oh, whose counsel is unbelievable. Who, who can offer him some advice? Nobody. It's an invitation to a life from God that is based on mercy. When you consecrate yourself, it's based on mercy. Thirdly, it's an invitation to present your life to God. Again, verse 1. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is invitation to present my whole life to God. The everyday living stuff and the special occasion stuff. Um, the, the Tuesday stuff as well as the Sunday stuff. It's all part of me offering my life to God. No part of my life is left unpresented. I'm not holding anything back. And no part of my life is then left untouched. I know most of you woke up today and thought to yourself, man, I'm going to go to church today and I hope he quotes Leviticus. <laughs> and so for those of you that woke up thinking that, here you go. In, in Leviticus chapter 1, the very first offering that is described in Leviticus chapter 1 is the hola offering. Like hello in Spanish, hola. Everybody say hola offering. Okay. The very first offering. And there's two things about it that made it different from all the other offerings that are described in the Old Testament. Number one, everybody could offer it. Rich folks could offer it. Poor folks could offer it. City dwellers could offer it. Suburbanites could offer it. Country folk could offer it. Folks who uh, had had a pretty good life and had it easy, they could offer it. And folks who really struggled, they could offer it too. Everybody could offer it. Secondly, it was the only offering. Normal offerings, you'd take parts of it and you'd offer that. And then the other parts would go to the priest to feed the people at the temple. This is the only offering that was consumed in its entirety. 
the whole thing burned up in ascension to God. Everybody could offer it, and it was totally consumed. Anybody could come and bring the Ola offering, and it was totally consumed. This is the picture that Paul has in mind as he writes. I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice. It's an invitation to present my entire life to God. It's holy, it says, because of the audience that we're offering it to. Not because of me, I'm not holy. I got, because I'm offering it to God. That's what makes it holy. And it's acceptable. Why? Because of mercy. And I say that again. I just point this out. Some of you live with kind of that, that thing in your ear. It's, it's kind of a soundtrack. It goes something like this. Why would God want you? You look in the mirror in the morning, you're like, why would God want me? I'm too small, too um, fearful, too this, too that. i got too much stuff in my background. I've got too much stuff going on in my life. Why in the world would God want me? And the enemy just keeps that playing in your ear. It's kind of background music of your life. And you're thinking to yourself, why would God want me? And listen to me. The reason you offer yourself is precisely because of God's incredible mercy toward you. You may ask the question, why would God want you? But God never says, I don't want you. Never. Some of you live with that lie. And God is inviting you to present your whole life to God. Nothing untouched, nothing unpresented. The entire thing consumed. Everyone can offer that to God. Everyone. And lastly, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to a life of worship. You see that last phrase in verse 1. This, this is your spiritual worship. This is true when we gather. In this gathering right here, the gathering of the saints, this is worship. But it's also um, true in every other aspect of our life. Not, not just, this is not just a religious exercise that really um, doesn't have uh, a power. It doesn't have effect. It doesn't have a reason to keep going. This is not that. This is the gathering of God's people and a life now, a life that worships. Not just Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday also. We don't have to feel like worshiping all the time to worship. This is actually part of worship. Hey, God, I'm not, I'm not connecting. I'm really struggling today. I'm, I'm offering you my regret today. I'm offering you my sadness today. This is that. But our worship, when we offer our lives to God, when our lives are worship to God, it affects, yes, the songs that we sing, with the songs that we sing on Sunday, but also the, also the ethics of Tuesday. And how we drive in traffic on Wednesday. And patience with our kids on Thursday. And self-control on Friday night. And on and on and on. It's a life of worship. He says it, it, this is the most logical thing that you could do. In light of what God has done for me, this is the most logical thing that I could do. Jesus himself was consumed. He offered himself up as a sacrifice. On the cross, for your sins, died sacrificially, rose victoriously. 
this is, this is the God who invites us to this kind of life. And so when you hear, oh, boy, this may cost me something. Yes, yes, it may. But it's an invitation. It's an invitation to you based on mercy to present your life and to live a life of worship that, that bends its life around something bigger than yourself. It's the only thing that makes sense and can express your gratitude and willingness and so forth. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah the prophet is now calling his successor Elisha. And he rolls up on Elisha. Elisha's out there plowing the field, doing good boy's work. And he takes his mantle, his kind of cloak, if you will, and throws it on him. And Elisha's like, what are you doing, my man? i got to go back and tell my folks. Elijah says to him, yeah, that's exactly what you need to do. Because look what I have done to you. I have appointed you as the successor of the prophet's office in Israel. So Elisha hustles on back, takes his team of oxen, gets on back, hugs, uh, uh, hugs his dad, kisses his mom, takes the bulls right there, takes them and slaughters them, breaks uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the frame there and sets it, the yoke, and sets it on fire. And it becomes the thing that the bulls are offered on as a sacrifice. Everything, everything is offered to him. He offers his relationships. He offers his security. He offers his comfort. He offers everything to God in that moment because of what he had done. This is what is set before you today. Transformation begins with consecration. And we want to invite you to that today. We want to offer that to you today. Some of you may be here and you've never started the process of following Jesus. And I want to say to you, the best thing that could happen is for you today to give your life to Christ. You will be changed forever today. Forgiveness can be yours. Freedom can be yours. And a fullness of life, an abundance of life that you've never experienced can be yours. Jesus. Jesus is offering you that kind of life. Transformation begins with consecration. But for some of us, most of us probably, the reality is, is that we've given our lives to Christ, but maybe there's some spots in me. Maybe there's some dark corners. Maybe there's some places. And you think to yourself, I'm too broken to offer this. No, I've t- got too much stuff in me to offer. I know. No, this is exactly the life that Jesus wants. Your life. Not your pretend life. Not the life that you're posting about. The life that you're portraying in an online kind of uh, mediated form. The, your actual life is the life he wants you to present to him. The life where you, you've fought with that family member and the life where you argued with the other person and the life where you're like, oh, is it worth it? Oh, this life is the life that he wants you to give. And so as we take a moment to respond, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. We've got Ben going to come up and get, do a song here in just a minute about waiting on the Lord. And I want you to do that. For some of you, that may mean that you open your physical hands as a uh, symbol, a physical symbol of what you are offering to God. God, this is what I am giving to you. And there's nothing that I'm holding back. My hands are completely open to you. Some of you may need to keep your Bible open in your lap. That's fine too. Some of you may need to come up to these kneeling benches. We had several people come up in the 830 service. Just as a symbol, God, I'm giving myself to you. However you need to respond. I'm going to offer a prayer. You consecrate yourself. Consecration is the first step in transformation. 
You consecrate yourself and see what the Lord may do. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today, for um, every single person who's heard my voice, whether it's online or um, in the room here, um, the ask, the thing that I'm setting before you, and the thing that I know is on your heart, that um, the seed that you've sown today would fall into good soil. The, 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 the ways that you have spoken to individuals, not, not just to our body, but to individuals here. The ways that you've spoken. Please, God, bring those kind of to their fullness. There are some of us who know exactly, exactly what we need to offer to you. And so, God, would you do that? Would you give us the courage uh, to offer that to you, to respond in that way? There are some of us that may need some just discernment on how you want us to offer ourselves to you in what ways, in what moments, in what, what relationship, whatever it may be. God, would you offer, I mean, would you, would you help us to offer ourselves to you, all of us? And Father, if there's anyone here, anybody watching online who doesn't know you, I pray that today you would draw them to yourself. Make yourself real to them. And let them put their trust in you. We give you this now in Jesus' name. Amen.